Welcome to Arise Life, a community of believers being equipped, empowered, and released into their destiny. For more information, go to arisealife.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Are you okay? Stay with me. Are you okay with where you're at in life? How not okay are you? Because this determines whether you move forward or not. This is really fascinating. Something that's always bothered me is there's over 2,000 people in Scripture named, and only 5 to 8% of those are women. Isn't that strange? Is anybody that bother? Okay. By the way, this is a church. You're allowed to say things that bother you even though they're in the Bible, Okay. Because I'm pretty sure women don't make up 5 to 8% of the people on the planet or that lived in Bible times. But there's an interesting story in Scripture. Do you know the probably, at least in my opinion, the most fleshed out person that we see in Scripture is of, that are women are Ruth and Naomi. And it's such a strange book. And Masha, I love Masha's like, why is it even in the Bible? There are no miracles. God hardly gets mentioned. And you need to understand something. In the ancient world, they only told stories about women who were seductresses or goddesses or, you know, Medusa or whatever. They didn't tell stories about two ladies out for a walk. It's so incredibly natural. And there's something you need to understand about the Bible that separates from all other religious literature in the world is it deals with real people who lived real lives. And if you don't read it from that perspective, you'll miss it. You will make it magical, you'll make it mythological, and it's not. That's why it so matters that God became a man and lived life as a man to fully fully dependent on God to show us how we as men and women can live lives fully dependent on God and live in the same way. He did it as a man, not as some superhero. And what we're going to see is we're going to go into, see, Gideon was in the time called the Judges. And uh, the book of Ruth begins, if you want to flip over to the book of Ruth, I recommend it. It's the eighth book of the Bible, so it's near the front. And in the very first verse, we see this this phrase. Where did my Bible? Oh, there it is. I've lost my own Bible. It says, in the days when the judges ruled. So what kind of time was that? Well, if you want to know, you just go back one verse to the very last verse in Judges. And it says this, in those days, Israel had a king, had no king, and everybody did as they saw fit or as was right in their own eyes. So when everybody does what they think is fit and what is right in their own eyes, what does that look like? Okay, chaos, anarchy. What was that? Lawless. Lawless. 
Division? Division? Selfish? Right now? So here's something. I'm going to tell you something. When there is no rule, when there is no order, when it is chaos, when it's anarchy, who takes over? Strong? What was that? The rich? The wicked? The liars? And the violent. The, I will tell you this. Can I tell you? More powerful than all these? The one who makes you fear. The one who makes you fear. That's how the mafia always... You know, it's interesting. I, I've mentioned this before, but in the 80s, they, uh, the mafia, the five uh, mafia families in New York had the only uh, 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 summit ever among the heads. They got together because there was a problem. Is the Russian mafia had shown up. Khrushchev had a genius idea. In Russia, he emptied all the insane asylums of the most evil, violent uh, well, um, uh, criminals because they knew America would receive asylum automatically. So he sent all their most psychotic criminals to Brighton Beach in New York. And instantly, crime wave began, but those criminals had no rule of law. Even the mafia has a rule of law. But they ha- then we don't even know what to do with them. We're, the mafia was terrified of the Russian mafia. Why? Because they had no rule. Because each man did what was right in his own eyes. And when that's the case, fear wins. And you watch the story of judges as they would go deep into a pit. And then remember how Gideon, seven years, totally dominated? And then it said they came to their senses like, God! The funny thing is, when you read, I remember as a kid reading that line, everybody did did what was right in their own eyes. I liked it. (laughs) Why would I like that as a child? I can do what I want. Nobody makes me go to bed. Right? It starts out, it starts out as desire, but in the end, it ends up as fear. Do you know there's two ways, uh, the two of the most interesting ways to, uh, you guys are familiar with a monkey trap? You take a box, maybe about this big, put in a banana or some fruit or some meat in it, and you have a hole big enough to get the hand in. And the monkey will stick his hand into the trap, grab a hold of the banana, but can't get back out of the trap with the thing and his fist closed around it. And the monkey will stay there till the hunter shows up. Even striving at the very last to get away with the banana. What begins as fear, begins as desire, ends up trapping. Another great one is, you guys familiar with the term buffalo jump? Out on the plains, the Native Americans figured out this amazing thing that when bison get spooked, they spook each other. And when they all get spooked together, they run, they stampede. Have you ever seen uh, 
any of the movies, they see this, and there would be millions of buffalo together running, shaking the earth. That's a terrifying thing. But instead of them terrifying the Native Americans, the Native Americans, just by spooking a few, managed to spook them all so that they were terrified, not even knowing what they're terrified, and they would run straight off a cliff. They found places that are meters deep of buffalo bones from hundreds of years. The same place. Last year, Bob fell off there. What do you want to do? Run. Fear will cause you to lose everything. Fear and desires are the two ways that the enemy gets us. All right, so stay with me. So in the, let's go, chapter one, verse one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Famine means not enough, right? Not enough food, not enough water, not enough. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the land of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion, or Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Ever read stuff and you're like, wow, that's a lot of words. I have no idea. That doesn't mean anything to me. Okay, you need to know this. Scripture means something. Just because you don't understand it, A, doesn't mean it doesn't mean something, and B, doesn't mean you can't understand it. But in fact, the places, I call them bald spots on your alternator. You guys, any drivers, you know, you've got a bald spot on your alternator, you know, or on your starter, and you ring, and nothing happens. You're like, something should happen, but nothing happens. If you read a verse, and something should happen, and nothing happens, what, what does a child do when they don't understand? Why? Why? Ask a question. Listen, you want to be smart? Act dumb. Ask questions. I don't know. What is that? And so one of the interesting things is, is the Hebrew language, especially in this period of time, do you, you know that most like um, uh, English names at one point meant something? Like a guy whose last name is Smith, what was his great-great-great-grandfather's job? Blacksmith, right? So we've lost sight of some of those because of how the language progresses. But at this time in Hebrew, people's names were kind of like when we, they translate Native American names like running bull right? Like immediately you imagine a running bull, right? And you don't, you expect the guy to be strong and strong like bull, right? So listen to these first two verses, the way they would have heard this during the time of the judges. Verse one, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem, man from the house of bread, the man from the place where everybody's like, you want bread? That's bread. That's the bread place. You are from the place where there should be bread, where when everywhere else there's no bread, there's going to be bread, right? If you're in a famine, where do you want to be? In Bethlehem. Who here, you got tired of waiting on God and left your Bethlehem? Moving on. And in Judah, what, what does Judah mean? God be praised. So in the place of bread, where there was no bread, where they were to be praising that, mm, together with his wife and sons, he went to live in the country of Moab. Now I, for the sake of Family Sunday, I'm not going to tell you why. You can read it up on your own time. But the best way to translate Moab is, for the sake of survival, you are willing to do the unthinkable. This is where 
I'm coming for your lunch money and for my own lunch money. Because we each have narratives that go something like this. I didn't have a choice. Every one of us have many different narratives in our lives where we say, I didn't have a choice. Anybody here, you have a friend who tells you that and you're going, you have a choice. Nobody? Do you know what I'm talking about? But you can't say you had a choice to him, can you? I cannot tell you the number of stories in my life was like, I didn't have a choice. And yet, at the end of the day, God, after many, many, many years, had to challenge that story in me. Why? Because until he challenges it, you will stay yourself, stay enslaved in the land of Moab. In the land of Moab to survive the unthinkable. Verse 2. <clears throat> there was a man whose name was Elimelech. That means God is king. Now, if God is my king, who tells me what to do? It's not a complicated. It's God, right? So if God is my king, I go where he goes and I live in his land. I stay where he is. I do what he says, okay? God is king. Where do they, do they stay in the land of God? No, they leave. Why? To seek their own salvation, to seek their own survival, to seek their own good. Why? Because they live in the time of judges when everybody does what they want. Even though, and, but he said his wife's name was Naomi. Oh, that's so sweet. You know what Naomi means? My desire. Oh, isn't that just sweet? Isn't that just precious? So you need to understand that the Jews would hear this and they would immediately reflect back to the place where this word comes from. Genesis 49, where uh, Joseph, uh, Isaac is speaking over Ishakar, his son, and prophesying over him. He says, he says in there, he says, he will see how desirable the land is. And so he will stay and become enslaved in it in Egypt. My desire. Doesn't it? Just stand with it. And the names of his two sons. Well, this should get good. What's the name of the first son? Malin. Sick. <laughs> oh, but it gets better. The next one is Killian, which means pining. We don't really use that word. Another way to say is languishing and suffering as unto death. Or desiring, and so desiring for something that will never be fulfilled and just dying in the process. Great names for kids, right? Aren't you glad your mom didn't have the access to this? And, but okay, so listen to this. And then they were Ephratites. I can't say that word. Ephratites. What is that? Ephra means two words. It means ash heap and fruitfulness. Anybody see a contradiction in terms there? Ash heap and fruitfulness. Why? Because the first time we see this show up is Rachel dies in horrible childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. It is both the place of destroyed dreams, but it's also the place of fruitfulness. Anybody know that you use ash as a fertilizer? God wants to use the ashes of your dreams to fertilize your future. If you'll let him. So stay with me. So remember, we've already introduced, right? And it, then it goes back and it repeats. They were ethnotized from Bethlehem and Judah. And they were, went to Moab and lived there. 
This thing is called a chiasm. In the, in, we tell our stories, it, it starts out slow, builds to a climax, and then falls off. That's the way we, you know. So the most exciting part of an action film is the last 10 minutes, right? In their stories, they told the stories where the point is in the middle. And so when they, they start something in the beginning and then they repeat it, the part in the middle is the part you're supposed to listen to. So the author, if the Jews would hear this and they go, okay, wow, what's going to go down with the guy who says God is king but leaves God's land? What is going to happen with the woman whose name is my desire and yet goes to the place where you do the unthinkable to survive with the children that are sick and dying? Good question. I'm curious. Let's find out. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Awesome, right? You need to know something. There is nobody in the ancient world lower than a widow. Why? She has no ability to bear children an older widow, to bear children. She has no ability to, uh, she is seen as, because in a time when might makes right, she is afraid, she is weak, she is defenseless, right? This story is starting out very badly. And she was left with her two sons. Well, at least she's got the two sons. They married Moabite women. Now, at this point, every Jew would go, why? If you guys remember, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, they, they, what happened is they were winning a war against the Moabites because the Moabites attacked them. So guess what the, the Moabite women did? They seduced the, the Israelite men. And a whole lot of problems started. Let's just put that that way. They knew, mess with the Moabites, bad stuff is going to happen. But what choice did she have? She was in Moab. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah. I always want to say Orca. Orpah and the other Ruth. And they had lived there about 10 years. Both Malan and Kilian also died. Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Well, again, reading this back the way the original, the Jews would have read it, is now Elimelech, God is king. Naomi's husband dies. Anybody here, you had all your chips into the middle of a table on somebody else? Just me? Or you depended on them for your breakthrough or for your spirituality or whatever it was? See, I didn't have a choice because they made the choice. I didn't have a choice because somebody else's choice. Nobody? It's getting hard. And moving on. She died, and she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women named Orpah, gazelle, and friendship. Now, I'm not... What do you think gazelle looked like? Giselle. He's named that for a reason, gazelle. Yeah. So, yeah, Tom Brady was married to Orpah. Moving on. Some of you tracked with me. But anyway, the other was Ruth. Friendship. You, guys, what do you, when, when somebody's trying to pick, uh, cook you up with a date, what do they say about the girl? She's got a great 
personality, right? Her leading quality is she's a great friend. She's been friend-zoned officially for all time. She is the friend, right? And there's over here Orpa, right? Gazelle. Wow. So again, you're listening. You're going, oh, I know how this story's going to roll. So moving on. Verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come... Oh, wait, wait. Sorry. I, I, I moved on. But... Both Malon and Kilian died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Again, this right here could not be a worse beginning to a story in the ancient world. As a woman, as a widow, in a foreign land, the result of other people's choices. I didn't have a choice. I'm stuck in here. I'm a, uh, uh, nothing. She has nothing, nobody. She's powerless. She's defenseless. She's out of options. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. Guys, doesn't this sound like, again, Gideon after seven years? Oh, yeah, there's a God. There's a God. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's, mother's home. May the Lord show your, you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, no, seriously, seriously, return home. My daughters, why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons? Could you become your husband's return home, my daughters? I'm too old to have, moving on, blah, 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 blah. No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. This phrase, I had no choice, is so dangerous. Because what it does is it sets God on the side of either the source of my pain or the one who refused to help. And if that's the case, I cannot draw near to him. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Listen, we are wired for self-protection. If you could have helped but didn't, or if you were the cause of my pain, I cannot draw near to you. I had no choice. I would submit that where God wants to take us is back to the place where we said we had no choice and rewrite the story. She thinks the Lord, again, what did the, 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 in Gideon's time, they thought God had turned against them, right? Remember, Gideon thought God had turned, God's like, I had nothing to do with it. You guys bailed on me, took off, did your own thing. Where did they go? Where did Naomi's husband and two sons die? The one place they weren't supposed to go. I'm not saying you brought it on yourself. I'm simply saying God does give us choice. It's really important to understand that. Because when I believe I don't have a choice, then I'm powerless. And then I can never change. And I can never grow. I do get to make choices, and I've made some really boneheaded ones in my life. You haven't, but I have. And I've discovered horrible consequences that I blamed on everybody else in my life. I didn't have a choice. Why? I'll tell you why. 
because most of my boneheaded decisions were, de- were either from fear or desire. You nailed it. Bullet both. It's called the stick and carrot. Right? It's like, okay. All right. I'm going to try to say something. And you guys will each take this to your respective domiciles and work it out with Jesus. Okay? All right? Uh, I'm going to move it up to the line. It's up to you to take it across the line. You guys ready? Okay. Most of us... Many of us have suffered the worst trauma and horrible things that have happened to us because of this very carrot and stick thing with people where they said, I will give you acceptance. I will give you love. I will give you affection. I will give you tenderness. Or I will take it away. I will hold you hostage or I'll do bad things or I'll tell bad thing, other people bad things about you. So do you want me to keep giving you this affection, this attention that is slowly destroying you and robbing you of your peace in the process? Anybody? Do you know what I'm talking about? Could be a romantic relationship. Could be an abusive relationship. Could be. But over and over again, I'll watch this. I'll watch this in in work situations. People will put up with a boss that is abusive because he keeps promising a raise eventually. He keeps saying, no, your ship will come in. They'll put up with things. They'll say, I didn't have a choice. Why? Because we are a slave to our desire and to our fears. But God, listen, I said this a thousand times. If you only feel you have two choices, die quick or die slow, that's the sign you're listening to the devil. Because God's a creative God and he's got options. You guys remember the Israelites up against the, de- the Red Sea? They're like, we're going to die. We either die by drowning because none of us knows how to swim because we grew up in Egypt. Or we get slaughtered by this enemy. And God goes, or I open up the Red Sea and you walk through. How about that? God has options. But you and I, I can't tell you, God has been working on me hardcore because so often I get triggered by fear and urgency. And I'm like, I got to make a decision. There's two bad choices. Which is the worst, the lesser of two evils? Ah. And God goes, urgency. Fear is the voice of the enemy. And you will always make a bad decision because you've only got the wrong. He's like, over here, over here. Don't look over there. Over here, over here. These are the only two options. Don't look over there. And then all of a sudden, when we stand, why does it say, wait on the Lord? Wait, and he will reveal options. He will reveal choices. He'll reveal things. Not a passive waiting, but a waiting. Waiting for God's hand. What I want to submit, and I know I've just treaded into some scary waters for many of us. In the stories where we said, I have no choice. Those, it's like it set off alarms in your heart and your head. And you're terrified because if I had a choice, if in any way I was a willing participant in this situation, in any way, that's terrifying to consider, isn't it? But this thing, God, I, I lay down my own story at the foot of the cross. Say, God, I, I don't know. But I want a different story than the one that's had me trapped repeating this cycle over and over again. I want a new story so I don't even get to be judge of my own story. You tell me. 
what happened. As they, they wept aloud again, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and said, Sayonara, I got options. I'm going to work them. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave and to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be your God. Wait, wait, your God will be my God? Naomi's given up on God. Believe it or not, as bad off as Naomi is, penniless, widow, dead kids, nothing in a foreign land, she, Ruth, sees the value that God has put in her. God has put people in your life to challenge the narrative you have. If you let them. She goes, listen, better to be a beggar and a widow with you than to stay in this place of fear and desire. I don't want it. I want what you... You may not think you have much, but I want what you got. As they... uh, Where you die, I will die. Wow. She's ready to go to the mat. And there, while I will be buried, may the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. Stop the presses. You have no idea. In a lawless time, two women traveling with no men, no nothing? How desperate are you for a new story? that you would leave what little rags of protection you have to follow him. Do you know the area they had to go through? You guys remember? Jesus told a story about it. It's called the Good Samaritan. This place was a robber's den from day one. And yet, they came through. This hunger that Masha was talking about. I can't stay here any longer. Even if it destroys the narrative that's been keeping me safe. I don't want it. I hold nothing back. You have my story. Because if you don't have choices, then you're a victim and you're powerless and you'll never change and nothing will ever be different. You'll just be waiting on the lottery. And when, the, when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town stirred because of them. Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. What does the whole town mean? A lot of people. A lot of people who, when famine hit, didn't leave. Anybody here? You made a choice because you thought you had no options, and then you circled back around and saw other people who, who had the same issue and made different choices? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? I've told you about me, mine when I dealt with Robbie Dawkins, when I spent seven years avoiding being arrested in Russia and lived in a smaller and smaller place and walked away from what God had called us to do in order to save my life. And Robbie Dawkins walked in there and one, one week got himself arrested and thrown in prison and had more effect and more fun and more joy in spite of how horrible that was in one week than I had in seven years. 
And it made me go, maybe my story is wrong. Maybe I did have choices when I said I didn't. Because fear was telling me I had no choices. He who attempts to save his life will lose it. And the women, when they saw her, exclaimed, can this be Naomi? All right, ladies, what are they saying? Come on, ladies. What? She has aged. She has aged. Come on. She's been gone 10 years. She's had a really hard time. She's got a lot of crow's feet, right? A lot of weeping, right? You know, she's been on a long journey. She, she left with something because you couldn't move to another country unless you had some stuff. But they came back with nothing. Can this be Naomi? They could not see the Naomi they had known because of what had been done to her and what she participated in. But Ruth did. Part of the reason why you ladies are gathering is you need some Ruths in your life. You need to grow your Ruths. You need women who will say, I see you. I know who you are. You are not your story. You're not your victimhood. You're not what's been done to you. You're not the choices that you're, the men in, in your life or the children in your life or, or the parents in your life made. You're not weak, powerless. You are a daughter of the king. And you have options. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Ladies. As your brother. <laughs> Women have been trained throughout history, going back to the curse in the garden, that their power is only in manipulation or intimidation or by becoming a man. No. 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 Why are women more afraid of anybody on earth other than, I mean, women? Is the number one fear of all women is women. Sorry. Did I just out the secret? The number, why? Because you've been trained that intimidation and manipulation and domination, being a man, is the way you gain power and therefore you gain safety. And every one of you has been sacrificed in a friendship to those and you've learned that other women are not to be trusted. I would submit when you begin to step into, and I have no idea what it is, by the way, but when you ladies walk in the power and authority of who you are as women, all of earth trembles. It is, and hell trembles. I don't know what it is because I ain't a woman. Yeah, women are like, can you pray for me? I, said, my, I have very limited experience as a woman. I, I don't know what to tell you. I, 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 but Masha's pretty savvy. But I want to say this, is when a woman rises up in authority, it's the women who take pot shots at her because they're afraid of manipulation, intimidation, and domination. And ladies, no, we got to rise up together. We, not we, y'all. <laughs> And this is the amazing thing is we watch women being powerful in their own stories. I cannot tell you, apart from manipulation, seduction, or whatever, you do not see powerful women for about 3,000 years in literature. All the women have to do what? They have to use their wiles, manipulation, lie. No. We're watching women being powerful and they're doing it together. 
And they looked at her and they said, can this be Naomi? You used to be good looking, girl. <laughs> ladies, ladies, God has given you the tongue of a prophet. I'm, I'm coming. No, I'm, I'm serious. Ladies, have you ever gotten, have you had a woman sh- sh- cut you down at the knees with one sentence? That is the evidence of the strength of the tongue God has given you. You can use it to bless, to prophesy life, or you can destroy. Be careful. Be careful. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. And what does Naomi do? say? She, she receives their prophecy. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life bitter. Their words over her have just strengthened the demonic word over her life. That God is her enemy and her life is a living hell and that's it. Do you want a different story? She said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now that's the first time she said something because it is. Who's brought her back? God has brought her back. Not to shame her, but to rewrite her story. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Lord has brought misfortune. So Naomi returned from Moab, from the land where you'll do anything just to survive, even the unthinkable, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite. (laughs) Who here? You have a season of your life you like, like boxed up, put in a box, sealed in duct tape, put in a storage unit and forgot the key. Like, and you don't want anybody to even know that season of your life existed. That's where your Ruth is at. When I allow you to see my Ruth's, allow you to see what God will redeem, even the silliest things you've ever done, if you won't hide them, if you won't be ashamed of them, but you'll lay them at the foot of the cross. If you will allow others to see your Ruth, your Ruth might just prophesy over your future. Her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. What I want to say is, God is challenging her story on two sides, isn't she? One side is there's nothing good that came out of Moab. Because I did it, right? Anybody here, my own choices have kept God from being able to bless me. Is that true? As long as I continue to worship my choices as being all powerful. But the minute I repent from my choices and surrender them to God, he can begin to transform them into my very breakthrough. But I've got to be open and honest with my story. And I've got to allow other people in my life to challenge my story. Ladies, part of the reason why the enemy turns your tongues against each other is because he knows that the tongue you have will set each other free. Now, I told you I was coming for you, so you signed the waiver. Y'all stayed. But all joking aside, I would submit in all my years of getting to see the life stories of people, this issue right here, 
I had no choice is the one that keeps more of us trapped than any other. And part of us says, how can it be any other? How can it be any different? How can it? How can it be any different if I feel like I have all the data on my own life? I feel like I know what happened. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was born in the house of bread? And he said, I am the bread of life. And he turned Golgotha into an ash from it, into an, that was an ash heap, a trash pile, into a land of fruitfulness. Do you want to surrender your ash heap to him? Do you want to surrender your Moab's? Do you want to surrender your powerlessness? Do you want to surrender the I had no choices? Or you might be in the middle of a situation and say, I have no choices. Would you like a new story where he says, I am the bread of life broken for you. I laid down my life that you might be whole. Not to do, See, the reason is you didn't have any choices, but God. But God, you say, I didn't even know God. Let me tell you, the Bible's full of people who didn't know God and God talked to. God has been in your story before you knew him. You didn't even have to invite him. He was there all along. He wants to give you his perspective on your story. Some of you, that's your childhood. Some of you, it's your first marriage. Some of you, it's your school years or your career choice. I don't care what it is, but do you want a new story? Do you want... To be set free from the past. To return to the house of bread. If we could have the worship team come up. Thank you, bro. Appreciate it. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> if we could stand. Father, every single one of us, we have many of these. I had no choice that we say ever increasingly shrilly <laughs> as we're terrified of what lies on the other side of that. But God, we don't want to, we're not going to psychoanalyze our story, but we simply are saying, God, what do you want me to know about my story? I want a new story. I give you my story. Speak over my story and show me the choices you are giving me today. Show me the Ruths that you've put into my life and I will trust you for the breakthrough only you can give. For more information, go to AriseLife.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. 